0: Luke, my parents divorced when I was less than a year old, and uh, my mom raised us, so uh, my dad and I have a great relationship now, uh, but my mom is like the one that, I'm going to try to do this without getting emotional, so uh, my mom's the one that raised me and my four siblings in Tulsa, Oklahoma on a teacher's salary, so uh, it's a big deal. To honor your mother, as well. Um, So, my mom's eighty-five. She's had dementia for like the last three or four years. She's dying, and uh, it's been a rough six months. She's been living with my sister. And Monday, Heidi called and said, "Hey, they've accepted her into this Claire House. It's amazing facility." I don't know what the Lord's doing there in my heart about that, but uh, just an amazing hospice facility that's got like 10 rooms, and it brings people in for their last 30 days that they can just die with dignity, um, get them whatever they want. It's not a hospital. It's just a care center to make sure that they're taken care of. So she called Monday and said, hey, they're going to come get her Tuesday. She's been accepted, and there's a bed, and so they're going to put her in Tuesday, so Tuesday I woke up and basically said to Michelle, I think we're supposed to go to Tulsa just to make sure that she transitions okay, (laughs) like I'm going to make a difference. Um, And so we got in the car, I think it was probably more for my sisters than it was for my mom or maybe it was for me, I don't know. Uh, So we got in the car Wednesday and left, just impulsively drove down there and she was in in her room at the end of the hall and walked in and she already looked like she was near death, you know, and I looked at my two sisters and they said, just go ahead and wake her, she'll wake up. So I just touched her shoulder and said, mom, and all of a sudden it was like she came to life. Her arms went up in the air, hugged me, started talking to me, I'm like, I'm looking at my sisters like, what's going on? You know, it was like, Jesus, Lazarus get up. <laughs> That's what it was like. And so for two days, I had conversation with my mom. We laughed, we cried, we we talked about heaven, we talked about going home, we talked about, year, you know, the dementia is more or less short-term memory, so she can't remember that she just had her fingernails painted 15 minutes ago. <laughs> but she can remember every relative from 1930 to it's kind of crazy to think about it but uh so we had a great two days and i appreciate what i appreciated was all the the texts and emails and just phone calls and everything from here knowing that you guys were praying for us and just praying for mom that she would uh, just go to heaven <laughs> That's that's really what we're coming down to, is just go, Mom. Uh, But your your freedom to say, just stay there with your mom. Just stay there with your mom. Well, we came to the decision that uh, me staying there was just prolonging things. It was just causing her to stay alive and be conscious and everything else. So uh, we decided that we would stick to our plans and come home yesterday morning so you you walk in there yesterday morning, and you say goodbye to your mom for the last time, like face-to-face. And so, uh, not an easy situation uh, at all, but uh, you guys keep asking, how's your mom, how's your mom? Well, <laughs> just waiting for her to go home. That's it. That's how I'm, my mom is. So, I'm assuming that she'll decline here again, and... um slip off to heaven with Jesus and it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Uh, we both looked each other in the eye and said uh, this is not goodbye forever, which is good. She recognized that and so thank you Lord for letting me explain that without breaking down. Uh, we're in John chapter 16 um, and I, I just as I've soaked in this this week and driving 10 hours there 10 hours back uh, and just thinking and meditating on the word and all this uh, I just amaze at the Lord and his timing you know here here's a time when for those of the, you that are guests with us or you're just now jumping into this thing John chapter 16 is is literally Jesus has left the upper room with his disciples after the Lord's Supper, and he's already comforted him there. He said, let's get up and go from here, and we're going to the Garden of Gethsemane, and there's this trail that leads down uh, by the Temple Mount through the Kidron Valley and up to the, the Mount of Olives, which is where the Garden of Gethsemane was, which eventually he gets arrested. So they're walking to this place, they're traveling to this place, and he's just having a conversation with them. And they're going through uh, this struggle that, you know, I'm, I'm kind of going through this struggle, you know, uh, at this point. And now the disciples are going through this struggle. And so the Lord's just comforting me through these verses as I go through them. Uh, but he's trying to comfort these guys. This is probably the worst thing that they're going to go through other than their own personal deaths. They all died as martyrs, except for John. They all died gruesome deaths because of what they believed about the gospel. Uh, But this probably had to be in their top two or three events of worst things that they were going to experience in their life was their Savior dying. And they're freaking out. And again, I'll say this. They didn't, at this point in the story... They didn't have what you have. They didn't have the Holy Spirit, the living God inside of them like you have. That's a big deal. If you don't, if you're sitting here and you've never thought about that. If you're a believer in Jesus, he came and he's taken up residence inside of you and he's given you the ability to read his word and to study and to know things and to see the things of God. Just like he does me. And they didn't have that at this point. They didn't have that. So they're trying to like figure this thing out. I go back to John chapter sixteen, verse eight, just to just a to touch, just to touch where we left off, it says the Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of its sin, its righteousness, and its judgment. And we quickly touched on that last week uh, as we concluded. It says, the Holy Spirit came to the world. Typically in the scripture, you can say the world is referred to as the unredeemed. Those that are evil. And so you can look at this verse and you can say, oh, this is really for the unredeemed. But at the same time, if you sow it through all 66 books of the Bible, you're going to see that the Holy Spirit The Holy Spirit is alive and well. And this, even though this is the only place that it talks about conviction, there's definitely references to what the Holy Spirit does. So when I look at it, I can say, I said this last week. He comes and he will convict the world about their sin. Go on to the next verse. It says, uh, wait, back up. I'm gonna have to look at my notes. I'm not gonna follow you, Todd. You follow me. (laughs) He says, when he comes, he convicts the world about sin. And then he says, about sin because they do not believe in me. He's convicting the unredeemed, the people who don't believe in Jesus, those are the unredeemed. And so he's convicting them about their sin. Well, what's their sin? Their sin is that they don't believe. I honestly believe he's not convicting them about every little detail that they're doing that's wrong. You know, they've got the Ten Commandments. You can go through those ten, and that's basically for... That's for the Jews. But even as unredeemed, we can sit here and go, okay, this is what God believes in. This is what he... And I'm a sinner. So I believe that God convicts the world of its sin of unbelief. That they just don't believe in him. And then it says, I come that you convict convict about righteousness. Well, who does he convict about righteousness? He can convict the unredeemed about their righteousness and not having it but as a believer he's already made me righteous it says that it says that right there in second corinthians 5:21 he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of god that's occurred I'm the righteousness of God that you're standing here looking at. I'm standing here looking at the righteousness of God. He's already made you righteous. How did he make you righteous? Because he died on the cross. He's not going to get back up on that cross and die and make you righteous again. It's a one-time deal. He's already made us righteous based upon our belief. That's a good thing. So now when I blow it, when I sin, he convicts me of my righteousness. Rusty, you're holy, you're redeemed. He doesn't have to sit there and say, Rusty, you shouldn't have done that. What are you thinking? In fact, it says, Romans 8, 1, Therefore, those who are in Christ Jesus right now, there is no condemnation. He's not going to condemn me for my sin. Why? Because he's already dealt with it on the cross. He's already dealt with it. It's a done deal. My sin has been dealt with. (laughs) You're sitting here like going, Well, that just means we can go do whatever because he's already dealt with it. Well, have fun with that one. You can do that. You're free to do that. But I don't think you'll enjoy it, especially the more you get to know him. The more you get to know him, the less that you want that behavior, the more you want to understand the righteousness that you've already attained. And then he says about judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. And we looked at 2 Corinthians 4, 4, where it's talked about Satan be the ruler of this world. We already know that Satan has been defeated, yet he's still the ruler of this world. And that judgment is to come. So then we go to verse 12. Let's pick up where we left off last week. It says, I still have many things to tell you, but you can't hear them now. Why can't they hear him now? Because it's just what I said earlier. It's like they don't have what you have. They don't have the spirit in them. He's already told them. Look, he's already like told them so much. You go back just over the last couple of chapters, he's like feeding them and feeding them and feeding them the scripture. And they think they're getting it. They're not. I I honestly don't even think they remember what he said. Wait. Wait. I don't think they remember what he said. I think once the Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2, that Spirit lives, in, and all of a sudden that Spirit reminds them of everything that Jesus said to them. And everything that Jesus said to them begins to make sense at that point. But not until that point. The Spirit has to come and live inside them. So Jesus is like, I've given you enough. We're going to stop right there. He says, when the Spirit of truth comes... He will guide you into all truth. Well, well, does that mean that the disciples are going to know everything? No. Doesn't mean that they will know everything because Jesus says, I don't even know when I'm going to return. So they can't know everything of God, but God's going to reveal to them what they need to know. He's going to have revelation among these men about what they need to say, think, and do. That's what God will do. He says, For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. The disciples, when they talk, it's not actually going to be their words. It's going to be the Father's words. And the reason we know this is because this is exactly what Jesus said just a couple chapters earlier. If you go back to John 14, 24, Jesus himself said, The word that you heard is not mine, but it is from the Father who sent me. So when the Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2, the same thing is going to happen to you. You're going to talk, and it's going to be the Father speaking through you. It's going to be his words, not your words. That's a pretty cool thing. He says... He will also declare to you what is to come. He's going to declare to you what is to come. That proves to me right there that they're going to understand exactly what Jesus has told them in the past because Jesus isn't going to be there to say it again. The Holy Spirit's going to be in there and he's going to remind them this is what Jesus said to you. This is what the Father said to you through Jesus. And they're going to be able to talk about future things. They're going to talk about prophecy. They're going to talk about Jesus returning. They're going to be passionate about telling people about Jesus. You sit here and go, why, isn't, why aren't Christians passionate about telling people about Jesus? Why isn't it just, we just go to church on Sundays and we do our things and occasionally, you know, if people are interested, we'll talk about it. I truly believe when Jesus said, I'm going to go away, And in a short time, I'm going to return. These disciples thought he was coming back any day. Like, we only have this amount of time to tell everybody about Jesus. But here it is some 2,000 years later, and we're going, well, Jesus isn't coming back anytime soon, so we got plenty of time, and it's not that pertinent that we tell people about Jesus today. I truly believe that's where it is. It's that there's just not this, this burning passion within us like it was for the disciples. Verse 14, he says, He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. In other words, it's not going to be based upon your intellect of what you know. Some of you in this room think that I know my Bible pretty well. (laughs) If you only knew. I have to work it what i do every sunday i have to study every week this is what i enjoy doing is studying and coming up here and and talking about it and teaching it but what the holy spirit does is this is not only will he take the disciples intellect and what they know but he will also reveal to them truth like it's a great thing to sit here and read god's word and all of a sudden he reveals something to you, and I'm like typing this thing down. And you sit there and go, "Well, he wouldn't have ever revealed that to me." That's why we come on Sundays so that like you, God can reveal things to you, and you just tell us, and then then we know it. If that's the case, we're in trouble, people. Seriously. Just imagine how great it would be if all of you all were reading the word and God was revealing all to you all and all of you all were sharing what God was revealing to you. That would be amazing. That's what Jesus said to his disciples. He's like, it's better that I die and go to heaven and send a spirit inside of all of you because then it's multiplied. It's not just me talking. That's what he's talking about here. What if you're reading the word and God reveals to you something that he never even thought about revealing to me? I'll listen to you. I listen to you all the time. I learn from you. I'm not the only teacher in this room. In fact, if we're the teachers, we're all in trouble. It better be the Spirit teaching us as a whole, as a body. Think about this for a second. Verse 15, it says, everything the Father has is mine. This is why I told you that he takes from what is mine and will declare it to you. He's going to take what you know and what I've told you, and he's going to blossom it. He's going to grow it. He's going to make it expand what what you know. Think about this for a second. Did you understand salvation fully when you believed in Jesus? (laughs) No. I was eight years old. I knew I was a sinner, knew I needed to say a prayer, Jesus was my Savior, and that He died for me, and that I was going to live eternally. That's about all I knew at eight years old. At least that's what I I remember. But now I'm older, more things have been revealed to me, and salvation means so much more to me. Uh... Well, what about forgiveness? Your understanding of forgiveness the first time you thought about forgiveness has it grown? Has it been revealed? Has it been, Ryan? Forgiveness. Do you understand forgiveness today more than you did the very first day? Matt, do you understand grace today more than you did the first day you heard about grace? Do you think that you're going to continue to learn about grace, or do you know everything about grace? I hope so. I hope so. That's my prayer is that, the you guys, these are basic words in Christendom. Like, you have to understand forgiveness. You have to understand this. But what if every day I'm learning based upon what I already know? That's the adventure that I want to be on. That's why I want to hang out with you. That's why I want you reading the Word. Because iron sharpens iron. We're going to grow together. We're going to learn together. What about discipline? One of my high school girls asked me about discipline. What's this whole discipline thing? Well, I had this one concept of what discipline looked like based upon my childhood years. You know, we used to get SWATs in school. And we saw that as like discipline. Now I see discipline as sitting down with a man who's struggling and telling them that God made them holy and God made them righteous. God's forgiven them. Because the Spirit convicts them of their righteousness. And to me, that's discipline. My concept of discipline has been revealed and changed throughout the years. Sanctification. Wait, you're growing in sanctification? Sanctification means to be set apart, means to be holy. You're growing in sanctification, yet you are sanctified. Then the Lord reveals, well, wait, if I'm already sanctified, that has to be who I am, my soul and my spirit. If I'm being sanctified, that's just the stuff that I do. I was in seminary, and I didn't know that. I didn't know that. It wasn't until years later the Lord revealed, hey, part of it's dealing with your behavior and part of it's dealing with your identity and who you truly are. You have already been set apart. You can't be set apart more than you are right now because I did it for you. So Jesus is going to send the Spirit And cause these men to be able to declare it based upon revelation, not just intellect. He says about the sorrow, he goes, A little while and you will no longer see me. Again, a little while you will see me. I think that what he's saying is in the Garden of Gethsemane, Judas is going to come along. He's going to kiss Jesus on the cheek. And that's when just it all breaks loose. And they arrest Jesus and take him away. But then Jesus will again return, again return, and he will hang out with them. I believe, honestly, that he's probably talking about Acts chapter 2 when the Spirit comes and he's hanging out with us individually. It says in verse 17, then some of his disciples said to one another, what is this he's telling us? That's, that, that right there is perfect to explain these guys didn't get it. Well, what's he saying to us? A little while and you will not see me again. In a little while you will see me. What's going on here? Is he doing some magic trick? What's the deal? And because I'm going to the father, they said, what is this he's saying? A little while, what's a little while? How how are we supposed to interpret this? Why don't we know what he's talking about? And Jesus knew they wanted to ask him, and so he said to them, are you asking one another about what I said? Are you guys, like, talking about this? I would love that. You guys are actually, like, thinking about what I said, and you're talking about it? You're processing it? He said, a little while, and you will not see me. Again, a little while, you will see me. Truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. What in the world is he talking about? Well, I know. I think he's talking about the crucifixion. I think the disciples are all going to weep and mourn when Jesus is put up on the cross and they see their friend die. And the rest of the people are saying, give us Barabbas, put Jesus on the cross. they're going to rejoice that Jesus is dead and then the Jews can go on with their rituals. He says, You will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. Proverbs uh, fourteen thirteen says this, Even in laughter a heart may be sad and joy may end in grief. I hung out at my mother's bed yesterday and dreaded for three days that moment when I knew that I had to say goodbye face to face last time forever on this earth. We stood there uh, with, with tears down our cheeks Uh, both looking each other in the eye knowing what was going on. And we both agreed that this was not forever. This is not forever. It's not forever. It's temporary. And we know where we're going to spend eternity together. That's going to be a good thing. So for the redeemed, what Jesus is saying right here in that situation, and what I took to heart for my situation yesterday is this, is that our sorrow turns to joy. Our sorrow turns to joy. But for the unredeemed, their joy may end in grief. There's not much hope there. Verse 21, it says, When a woman is in labor, I don't know what that's like, she has pain because her time has come, but when she has given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a person has been born into the world. Women, can you attest to that? That I'm sure childbirth was painful. I don't think uh, there's too many things that men will ever go through that will be as painful as that. But the fact that you have a life that you hold and watch, watch this, that you hold and watch and you grow and you create all these memories, these incredible memories with your kids, that it takes away all the pain and suffering of that one moment of being birthed. It's always about creating the memories after the painful sorrow and grief. There will always, I promise you, there will always be good memories that occur and wipes out all the grief and sorrow. Yesterday was sorrowful. I will continue to grieve my mom, but I know there's good days to come. There's good memories to come. He says in verse 22 So you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy from you. You know, uh, Tell me, the, tell me the Lord's timing as we, seriously, as we've gone through these 67, 68 weeks of teaching the gospel, that God's timing has not been evident in the teaching of these every week. I mean, Lord, this is what you're going to give me to study this week. But I will see you again, your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy from you. I needed that verse this week. I said goodbye to mom, and I got in the car and lost it. Just emotionally lost it. And one of my former interns, who's a pastor on the south side, texted me at the very moment. Didn't say a word. Didn't even have the scripture reference in it, but it was Romans 15, 13. It says, now... May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I looked at that verse. I wiped my eyes, put it in drive, and drove home. You tell me the timing of God and his teaching is not evident. I believe that it is. My My father understands grief. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. My father understands grief. And he promises me joy even in the midst of my grief and sorrow. He's promising it to these disciples right here. He says, in that day you will not ask me anything. Truly I tell you, anything you ask the father in my name he will give you. It's that whole, in Jesus' name, that's important. Why? Because you know Jesus so well when you say his name. You know exactly what he's wanting you to ask for. He says, until then, until now, you've asked for nothing in my name. (laughs) The disciples are like going, wait, 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 wait. we've been praying. We're Jews. We've been praying. But yes, they've been praying to the Father. Who's been taking care of you for the last three years? Who's fed your bellies when you said you were hungry? Who's given you a place to stay? Who's done some amazing... Who's discipled you over these last three years, Jesus? He says, now when you pray, this is going to be different than you've ever prayed before, but now I want you to pray in my name. You pray in Jesus' name. The Father gives it through the Son. He's still asking them to be dependent upon him. He says, ask and you will receive so that your joy may be complete. Verse 25, I have spoken these things to you in figures of speech. I have spoken these things to you in figures of speech. If you go all the way back to Matthew 12, when Jesus healed the blind man that was born from birth blind, nobody else had ever done that. The Pharisees and the whole Jewish nation came and said, You did that miracle through the power of the evil one. Satan did that miracle through you. There's no way you could have done that because you're not the Messiah. It was at that point they blasphemed the Holy Spirit. And from Matthew 12, starting in Matthew 13, Jesus began teaching in parables. He says, You guys that just said that I'm not the Messiah, I'm not the Savior... You're not going to see this thing. So he used this figure of speech called parables. And he kept telling his disciples, this is what I said. Here's what it means. The Pharisees couldn't see it. It was a figure of speech. And now he's sitting here saying, I've spoken these things to you in figures of speech, and a time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures but I will tell you plainly about the Father. Wait, you you mean you're not telling us now? You're still speaking to us in a figure of speech? In a sense, yes, because you don't have the Spirit yet. When the Spirit comes, when I come as the Spirit, you will clearly understand these things. He says... <clears throat> On that day, you will ask in my name, and I'm not telling you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. Well, that's a little bit confusing. He's literally saying, I don't have to force the Father to listen to you. He already loves you. I'm an advocate. You look in First John, it says Jesus is an advocate for us. I'm an advocate for you, but the Father already loves you. He says in verse 27, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I'm leaving this world and going to the Father. And his disciples said, Look, now you're speaking plainly and not using any figurative language. This is awful. Now we know that you know everything and don't need anyone to question you. But this, we believe that you came from God. The disciples are sitting there saying, we get what you're saying. We understand it. It makes sense. Are you really? Jesus said, you don't understand. And they're like, yeah, we do. We get it. Did the disciples really understand what Jesus had just said to them? Did they understand perfectly? Absolutely not. Jesus responded to them, Oh, do you you now believe? Do you get it now? Jesus knew that they had it intellectually, but he also knew that they didn't have it spiritually. There's a big difference. To know about Jesus and to know Jesus is two different things. They really didn't get this at this point. Then he closes out. Indeed, an hour is coming and has come when each of you will be scattered to his own home and you will leave me alone. As soon as Jesus as soon as Judas kissed Jesus on the cheek, they arrested him and those boys scattered. Just what Jesus said, you're getting ready to like take off. you're gonna leave me. Alone. He looked at him. You're gonna leave me. You're gonna scatter. You really get this? You really understand this? You say you get this, but this is what you're gonna do. He says, Yet (laughs) I'm not alone. I'm not alone. Because the Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world, but be courageous. I conquered the world. He's saying, what's getting ready to come is getting ready to be really, really tough. This road ahead, it's going to have bumps. It's going to have bruises. It's going to have chuckles. Probably going to have some sinkholes. It's going to be tough. But I promise you, my peace, my peace, Jesus says, my peace will be with you, even in the midst of those bumps and bruises. Once Acts 2 occurred, these disciples combined their intellect with the spiritual side of it. And they figured it out. They gave enough that they gave their lives for the gospel. In the midst of saying, of them saying they understand. They're going to scatter and leave him. Jesus sat there and said, you're going to leave me. He still closed this word with them by encouraging them and loving them. It's all right. I got the Father with me. You're going to take off. It's okay. I got the Father with me, and you're still going to find joy. You're still going to find peace. What I'm telling you is true. So when you find yourself alone. Just know. Father's going to be there. He's going to bring you peace. He's going to bring you joy. I promise. Father, I pray that. uh, Hmm. That is so true. What you've just taught what you've just revealed to us that that just rings true not just in my life but those that are sitting out in here because I know I'm not the only one dealing with crisis everybody in here has their own crisis and sometimes we feel like we're alone just remind them you're with them always always. You're not going to leave them. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.